0: OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund, Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Povin. and let's please welcome Ryan as the managing partner of Roadster Capital as our investor today. Welcome, Ryan. It is a real pleasure having you join us today.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to have the opportunity to catch up with you and, and talk about a few things of interest to, to you and your listeners.
0: Totally agree. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about the conversation because there's so many things in the venture world that we can dive into. Uh, but specifically, I think there's some great material around just kind of all the things you've done in your career. And the big underlying subject, a lot of it goes into sales. And so I'm excited to kind of dive into that um, amongst a few other uh, hard-hitting questions that I have for you. Um, but to start the show off, what we'd like to to dive into is maybe you can share a little bit about your background uh, from, you know, all the way from the McAfee's and all the the great companies that you've worked for, and then kind of where you're at today, and then one thing about you that nobody would know.
1: Okay, sure. So I think in the interest of time, I'll try and keep it short, and I'll give it really high level. So um, let's see. So I started my career out early, I was a, probably 20 years old, and I was an intern at Oracle in Redwood City, California, and uh, I found myself working at Oracle upon graduation from undergrad where I earned a, a Bachelor of Science in Marketing, and from there, I moved over to, to PeopleSoft and worked on the development of the e-business network. Uh, in both of those roles, I worked in, in uh, sales and uh, value-added resellers and channels uh, businesses. Um and from there I moved moved around and ended up working in network and application security for a company called Securify that was eventually acquired by Crologara. Uh so we became the um the digital security arm of a, a company that primarily was focused on Kidnapping, and reconnaissance and armored vehicles and things of that like. And eventually, through a lot of ups and downs uh, during those that transaction, we ended up eventually being acquired by McAfee. And so um, I worked with a great guy there named Tahir El-Gamal, who's an, actually an advisor to my fund. And Tahir is the founder of Secure Socket Layer. He was a chief science officer at Netscape way back when, and currently he's the chief security officer at salesforce.com. Somewhere along the way, I earned an MBA in finance from the University of Notre Dame, and uh, founded a company, co-founded a company uh, that made environmentally friendly cleaners. We we sold to Lowe's Home Improvement, Home Depot, Ace Hardware, and the like. Grew, grew up to be kind of a nice-sized nice company with a decent exit eventually, and then went to lead a global turnaround for Oregon Scientific, where I was the uh, the president of North and South America and reported to a CEO in Hong Kong, and I um, we sold that company for 500 million to a much larger global conglomerate in Nanjing, China. And uh, while I was in that role, we made some strategic investments in a few startups, and eventually I started making some of my own investments. And you know, here we are today, you know, with Roadster Capital. Uh, investing in you know in in founders solving our world's greatest challenges with science and technology while trying to transform industries and the way we live and my perspective is that business people and planet will lead us into the
2: next decade of digitization while accelerating economic growth and sustainability
0: awesome i love it it's a great background and you've worked for some not only for yourself, of course, and building out a great com- building out great companies, but at the same time you've worked for some very large entities that have uh, obviously still continue today to grow and be uh, pillars in in every community across North America.
1: Yeah, you know it's been a really good mix of really large Fortune 500s uh, and um, incredibly agile uh, and fundamentally transformative startups.
0: Agreed. Now, can I go back a little bit? Well, well, before I jump into that, one thing about you that nobody would know.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm not sure if this is recording for video or not, but in the background behind me in my office is a, a poster of The Hulk, a movie, a big Hollywood movie that Ang Lee directed. And so I was in that movie. And in fact, I've been in a number of movies over the years. I've been a member of the Screen Actors Guild for I'd say probably 18 years now. So I, I've worked on a number of films, primarily as a, a featured extra. Um, one one role in a film where I had lines, but they cut the lines out, but it won an Emmy. But the Emmy was not for the good acting, everyone. The Emmy was for costume, of all things. <laughs> and that was something on the the History Channel where all of my scenes were filmed on horseback. So, uh, yeah, it's been a fun, a very fun um. Time for me to be involved with the Screen Actors Guild for so many years and just a fun passion hobby, if you will. It's never paid the bills, but it's always been a lot of fun. And I've had some great experiences. And I, you know, I love all things production, film, and building things from the ground up. And film, much like business, has many similarities in those respects.
0: That's pretty cool, and so that means that you would have your name in the credits somewhere along the lines uh, throughout. Yeah, those my
1: name in the credits on uh, on a few of them, not all of them. But
0: that's you pretty exciting.
1: Get screen time along the way.
0: Oh, that's pretty exciting. That that's a, a great story, uh, and I guess you continue to do this. Is there any up and coming films that you're going to be part of?
1: No, none in the foreseeable future. I I'm based in Portland, Oregon, and we there isn't much activity. In the film industry in portland and i i have so much time dedicated to the fund and working with founders that that becomes more of a distraction than anything at all so if a great opportunity surfaces um i will you know i'll seize the moment and go for it uh, but typically it doesn't happen you have to really put yourself out there you need to have an agent and you have to be actively go you know working the craft and going out for it and you know I, that's not me but hey hollywood if you're if you're looking for me you know how to find me
0: <laughs> that's awesome well hopefully they find you then maybe we'll uh, we'll push this out so that uh, there's some leading role that you can jump into yeah right <laughs> very cool well to go back a little bit to throughout the kind of history of where you were and where you started to where you got today um you know one of the i guess Big things that I noticed and thought was pretty interesting is that not only do you come to the venture firm venture side of things with uh, a founder background, uh, but you do have a strong uh, sales background uh, you've worked for a lot of companies uh, from on the tech side innovation side. So, are there a couple of things that you kind of realized that when you're working with founders today, that there are some things that they could be better, more efficient in that you're able to kind of coach them through on this? Like looking back at your background and saying, look, this is kind of how you got to approach this, being very commercialized, because again, you worked in very commercialized businesses. They understand the, the metrics, they understand things a lot differently than a small startup. Are there a couple of lessons that you kind of built up over the years and you kind of help pass those through to uh, to founders?
1: Yeah, there certainly are. I, there's there's probably too many for us to dive into them all. But you know, I'll just kind of rattle a few off the top of my head. For me, you know, having lived both sides, I think it's really critical for founders to to look beyond just the money. And a lot of times, uh, a founder at an early stage, where I'm working, gets caught up in in trying to raise that venture funding. And in most cases founders don't need the venture funding. And so they're looking to it because they think it's something that they need, but they're not really um, venture fundable businesses. But it doesn't mean that they shouldn't change their perspective on how they build their business. And a a really strong founder, from my perspective, also has uh, the ability and the the chops, if you will, to, to knock on many doors just as they're knocking on investor doors, but knock on customer doors. And while doing so, there are a few critical questions that need to be asked. And those are, you know, how much are you willing to pay for for the service that we're offering? What are the value points that you perceive? And then comparing those value points to what their internal engineering and development teams believe they are, what their internal sales team believes they are. Of course, they probably don't have a sales team by the time they're meeting with me. Um, But... You know, you, you have to ask why, because if you continue to to cold call and get someone on the phone, a buyer, and you sell them your bucket of goods and they tell you no, but they continue to take your calls, you need to eventually ask them, why are you saying no? And you have to have the ability to reflect upon what they tell you and adjust accordingly. So I think you have to definitely build a nice, solid pipeline that aligns with what you think the company needs to do going forward. But at the same time, you have to listen to your customers and you have to work for your customers because at the end of the day, it's your customers who are paying the bills that are allowing you to grow a business that adds value and changes, you know, a, an entire market's outlook on, you know, what options are available to them. So therefore, your customers are so critical. My my first job um, a long, long time ago was selling shoes at Nordstrom's, which is a, a retailer here in in North America based in Seattle. And one thing they always taught us was, when you bring a shoe out to a customer, bring them three shoes. Give them options. And so, and you might not end up selling them the shoe that they wanted because it might not fit right, but we have other other things that we can offer them, and you should let them see that value. And in doing so, don't give them a hard sell on any of the items, but just let them know that we have options and we're thinking of you. And based on the the brief discussion we had, this is, you know, these are two other options. And it actually works. It works best in women's shoes, um, more so than men's shoes. Um, but uh, the, you know, but it's a nice tactic to have. And if you have three SKUs, three offerings that you can bring forward into any meeting, it's good. Even if one of them is still in early development, it's nice to put it on a table and see if there's interest because you do have to think about what will be next while you're selling what's hot today.
0: Now, that's a that's an awesome point. And, and it's it's interesting because uh, I recently had bought a pair of shoes. And I think back and like, has anybody ever done that tactic? Um, and I think back, it's probably been years since I've seen that, but I do agree that there's so much opportunity when person has their eyes set fast on one product and because you know feet or you know the way someone might walk or talk inside of this uh, the shoes that they're looking for, their sports or whatever, they're asking the right questions that they could come back out with something as an upsell, kind of like on a meal side, when somebody asks you, um, you know, what is the best meal that I should order? And they always go to the most expensive dish instead of asking some questions to get more information that will allow you to deliver. Here's three great meals that you should look at versus go for this one. And it's uh, the $200 uh, gold hamburger. So I I think there's got to be some way to play with this, but asking the right questions are going to help you deliver those three great pair of shoes.
1: Yeah, they definitely will. And, it, you know, it's nice to have um, a sense of humility in your approach. I mean, you, you it's really, it pays dividends in the long run to just ask a question and sit back and listen.
0: Agree with that. So now when you, you were talking about putting together a pipeline, um, listen to the customers um, and work for your customers, maybe to go a step further, and maybe one step back, is there any tactics on how to get these customers? Like what you're kind of recommending Um, we've talked to lots of different founders over the time, and they're always in this process of, I don't know what my beachhead is. I'm trying to figure out what vertical I'm going to fit in. So I'm trying all of these different things. And like, as you know, that, takes time and time takes money and all of those things keep driving down before they actually funnel it into who's going to be their real buyer of their product. Are there certain uh, criteria that you look for that you can help the founders with uh, when you're breaking their product apart and saying, hey, go after this group. I can introduce it. These are the ones that are going to really enjoy your product. Uh, is there a formula for this or any way that you can describe as a best way or best practices?
1: Yeah, there there is uh, from my experience. I think the the formula is do not attempt to sell to the biggest fish in the room. right? So it, it, you want to you want your business to grow and you want those marquee logos, big name customers that you can speak to other customers about because once you have the real big names, it makes it easier for everyone to say yes because there's less re- related career risk, if you will, right? But you cannot spend an exorbitant amount of time selling, Name your big company, right? Say say you're selling software right? or say you're selling infrastructure software. Don't go after the, the U.S. Air Force immediately or don't go after um, salesforce.com immediately. Don't go after Google immediately. Go after a, a smaller customer that will actually give you the time of day. A customer who has less bottlenecks in front of them as a buyer, someone who can either you know beta test your product sooner or become a paying customer sooner and it, it typically is going to be a a smaller size customer the 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 beauty of working with these smaller customers first is it's okay if you break things and because you'll have the ability to fix them and they'll let you. and if you go after the real big dogs or the big fish right out of the gate and it doesn't work, good luck getting back in the door. So you, you, have to build a, you have to build a foundation and work out the kinks before you start selling to the biggest customers in the room. Um, and it's sometimes challenging to convince yourself that that's the right approach, but it it really works. Uh, otherwise, you'll end up spinning your wheels for Six months, 12 months, your pipeline ends up being, you know, 24 months trying to sell one customer that always tells you no. Meanwhile, you could have spent that 24 months selling into you know a, a bucket of 20 smaller customers, and maybe you could have closed two of them. And it, it takes one customer to get two, it takes two to get three, and then it takes three to get to five, 10, 15 and up. And so it's better to take those smaller steps. Uh, and have the ability to to work with people who are more engaged and will give you more more valuable feedback initially that will help you understand, you know, the the questions and the needs of your target buyer so that when you do go to a much larger organization, you're not trying to sell to the, the CTO of a business. You're actually able to find out who, reports up to that CTO within that organization. And, you know, if you take a bottoms up approach, as many as today's software companies are doing, you can start to, you know, put your product into, you know, areas like GitHub and let users experience the product and use it and talk it up amongst their, their different networks to where it bubbles into organizations that aren't even top of mind to you. And then you start getting, they start reaching out to you because whatever they're using that you're developing is working great. Uh, a company that I've invested in that's doing a, a really good job at that is called Occam.io. And they, you know, they're, they spend a significant amount of time in GitHub and building repositories and working with developers in a developer first um, approach. And it's working, you know, they're now doing business with, you know, companies like, like Bosch, where they had no initial contacts, and so it's a good it's a good approach for software companies
0: and it makes a lot of sense to start looking after the the companies that are trying to compete with the big dogs or the big players so if you're going after those mid-tier or even smaller players they're going to give you that time and focus which enables you to work through the bugs or work through some of the potential issues, you might find the product isn't even a fit anymore in that space. So you might have to pivot or you might have to make a change, but at least that insight is going to be valuable to help you uh, coach you through that next phase of the business before you start going after and spinning your wheels on the bigger players.
1: Yeah. I, I, I believe that's really important that you just, you believe that that is the case because at the end of the day it is. And you also have to tell yourself that after, after four or five calls, you need to put these people into a different classification of, of hot versus you know not hot. And you got to circle back to them later on. Stop stop knocking on that door, you know, over and over again. Just keep moving forward once you get a big hit and then go back and knock on those doors again and then talk to them about the success. Once they start to hear about the success then they're gonna be more interested in wanting to give you the time of day. And eventually, even though you know, this was a customer that you wanted more so than anything, even though they came along later, it doesn't matter. They still came along at the end of the day. And that's your objective is to to you know build build revenue, build growth, build customer base. So
0: and, and how do you approach that when you've got investors outside of yourself of course that are looking at this saying oh go after these big players you need to get in there because they're looking at maybe their own self-growth inside of their uh, their venture because of their investment instead of looking at it programmatically and saying okay here's the stages and phases you need to go through um can you help coach your founders to say hey maybe you're going at this a little bit differently or, or the wrong way uh, maybe take it smaller bites and start going after these smaller companies first uh, let the big dogs lay for another year or so before you approach them. Have something behind your belt before going in and and sharing what uh, your solution is.
1: Yeah, founders need to manage their investors just as their investors are trying to manage them. And I think the the most effective way to manage your investors is to be transparent with them and provide you know monthly or quarterly updates on the business and the business growth and what the drivers of the business have been and what you. Perceive them to be moving forward, and how you're executing on those drivers. And if you if you make that really clear to your investors um, in a clear, concise way, uh, they're not going to be hammering you as much as they would if you're not, uh, because they'll be able to see that growth and you know how the pipeline is building. They'll be able to see that you're you're sharing with them your forecasted pipeline. You're sharing with them what's been closed. You're sharing them you know, how your ARR is changing and forecasting. Um, and you can even speak to them about what your your customer acquisition costs may be in the market uh, along the way and how they've, how they've changed and what you're doing to adjust to it so they can see how you're spending money. And then maybe they can give you more value-added advice on, on how to make adjustments to the machine without telling you, you should call, I mean, you know, Go call Microsoft. Well, great. Go call Microsoft doesn't do me as a founder any good. How about you say, why don't you call my my buddy, you know, JT, who works at Microsoft in this division, and I'll make an introduction for you. That would be great. So ask your investors for help. Be really blunt about it and say, you know, this is what we're up against. This is how we've been growing. This is where we've won. This is where we've failed. This is a customer we thought we had, and this is how we lost them. And we are interested in approaching you know, these three names. Do you have anyone within your network that could make a valuable introduction to us? It's a it's a simple ask. And if you don't ask, um, people aren't going to give you what you need. So you have to be okay with just letting them know that you need help too. I love
0: it. And I think that um, the win and fail column is going to be super helpful again for everybody to kind of stay on the same page, but also to line up to where they can uh, find other wins. Uh, People are smart enough. Investors are smart enough. They can start to read through that and understand, okay, maybe I need to go in this direction and not make these intros into this side. Um, This is the vertical you're going after or the areas that you're focusing on. So it's, uh, I think that's pretty valuable. Uh, Now taking that same kind of approach, Um, when you were working in your own business and and building up these different lines and verticals, uh, tech has changed dramatically over the last five years versus the last 20 years. Um, are you finding that founders are more enabled because of the amount of tech that's out there to help them support sales? Or do you find that there's just too much out there and it was simpler, uh, when you were selling through and getting in front of all the big groups that you needed to? (laughs) Uh,
1: you know, I just, I guess it just depends on how you use the tech. And, um, it's like anything. How do you manage your time? How do you use the tools that are in front of you? You don't need to have every single shiny tool that is presented to you in order to, to implement a successful process. So, um, yeah, the tech is good. LinkedIn is an interesting space. It's become, from my perspective, too much like, uh, Facebook, yeah, you know, people are sharing way too many things on there. And the one thing I really hate about Facebook is every time I accept a new, um, a new LinkedIn request, and I get so many of them every day, it, it, that person automatically falls into my, my line of sight on, on LinkedIn. So I, I think you automatically follow people when you accept their their link, I don't want to automatically follow everybody because it's just too much noise, right? So I have to go back one by one and, and unfollow when I accept these requests. I think it, it's better to use LinkedIn as a place for, for business. And if you want to communicate effectively, you know, become an author on LinkedIn and and write things on LinkedIn. Posting things, you know, sporadically throughout the day it, what it tells me is that you're not focused on building your business. You're sidetracked, and you know you're like a lot of these venture investors, and you're on Twitter all day long, and you're not actually like look reviewing deals, talking to founders, doing the hard work, and and rolling up your sleeves and helping them with their most critical issues that are at hand. You're more interested in gaining followers, or you know sending out something about. Elon Musk, who you'll never meet and, you know, criticizing him when in fact, what you ought to be doing is just picking up the phone and saying, how are you doing today? Founder X, how can I help? And there's not enough of that that goes on. So I think founders just the same way should be picking up the phone to, to the rest of their team and saying, how's it going today? How can I help? Where can I be of value? What do we need to, what do we need to do? How can we adjust? Where have we one
2: and how can we repeat that process?
0: I love it. There's so much valuable insight there on kind of helping a founder stay focused because I think a lot of the time. There are a lot of bells and whistles. There are a lot of things out there that we're trying to look at or go through. um, And your real key focus is how do I commercialize my business? How do I set up the sales funnel? How do I move this business to the next stage, the next layer, so that I can go and get venture or whatever that next phase is for your business, but staying hyper-focused. And there is a lot of uh, noise out there, as you've mentioned, and we might spend too much time doing the wrong things, which aren't really proof points into why our business is doing well. Well, I'm pretty sure I haven't heard anybody say that I have uh, 30,000 LinkedIn followers. That's why my business is doing really well. So I'm guessing that it's not uh, a KPI that anybody can use. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you can build out a funnel from it, then that's great. But I think you do really have to figure out what that hyper-focus is going to be for your business.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's all this talk around thought leadership. And yeah, it's it's great. But at the same time, you you have to build the business. So you know, you're, and some people don't, aren't great writers. So some people get forced into writing and posting things and what they end up doing inevitably is they post too often and, and, and they post things that aren't necessarily relevant to the, the true mission or objective of the company or what they are as a founder. And you yeah, know, it, it becomes a distraction.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Now to take kind of that, distraction side and and taking this into a different uh, layer, you mentioned that you, know, you have to look beyond the money. Uh, can you describe a bit more what you mean by looking beyond the money? And I know you kind of referenced it to maybe you're not venture investable. And sometimes as a founder, as you're working through these funnels, and it's really early on, and you're having discussions with other angels and VCs to invest, and you're trying to figure out who you want to be or the lane you want to take. Uh, what does it mean by looking beyond the money? And what is that uh, how does that shape up for a founder um, in the future?
1: Well, I, I think as a founder, it's it would it's nice for you as to, to build, you know, funnels of, you know good, better, and best from your perspective as an investor. And then if you look at building your business and you're doing a similar funnel, who would be your good, better, best customers? And then eventually you start to say, maybe it would be nice if in one way or another, they could all interlink and they could all benefit one another and, and work together you know, in symmetry in some form or another. And when you look at venture funds, I think it's important to look at the portfolio companies that they have backed in the past because you're going to become a part of that family, if you will. Um, and, and I say family because you know, family has been a, a big part of my life. And I'm a I believe in in family and support systems. And you, you know, these funds, when you take money from a from a VC, it's a relationship. And we're gonna hear this a lot from a lot of people. You're going to be working with the investor that led that investment or an you know, an analyst at that fund for the duration of the life of your business while you are continuing to take venture money. So they're going to be part of your family, but the, also the companies that they've, that they've invested in, they could become potential customers of yours. They, it makes sense to me for a founder to look at funds that have invested in companies that they think their company can benefit because if you can get those type of investors and you can get them on board to see how your technology, your company, your service offering can benefit all of their portfolio companies, you're, you're now selling them not just as an investor but as a customer and saying, if you come to us, we're going to be able to benefit your entire portfolio and we will work well with them and we can all in turn grow collectively. That's that's beautiful. If you can find that and make that happen, and then you're gonna have um, you're gonna have a built in customer base right out of the gate. And if they say no, and you've been a good salesperson, they're gonna make introductions to you for you across their portfolio. And you and now you've built a real credibility. And each of those uh, teams that you end up speaking with is coming from a trusted investor. And they are going to give you the time of day and hear your pitch and, you know, perhaps become a paying customer.
0: I love that with the trusted and credibility side. And maybe this is something that founders, you know, when you were saying earlier that they're spending a lot of time, you know, building um, likes and and building the brand and, and trying to get out there and be more than the brand before they've even built anything up. Um, maybe they could spend a little bit more time working with that trust and credibility side, which is closing customers, uh, making sure the customers are happy and having them repeat customers and then start to expand in that network and grow and build credibility from, uh, you know, either from an investor VC side or from the customers that you're out talking to. There's many different ways that you can start to build that street cred, if you will, uh, that's going to bring a lot more value in the future than just a bunch of different likes
1: yeah I completely agree
0: so now taking uh and I have to ask this question because of all the hype that occurred because of McAfee in the past um I'm I'm really curious that when you guys integrated in did you end up working with uh John David at McAfee
1: no I did not no
0: ah I was so hoping you were going to say yeah I met the guy It was pretty cool and Uh, I think way back when I was uh, in my earlier tech days, I was always fascinated by McAfee and and uh, there was uh, a few celebrity people that I got to meet throughout my journey because I was an ex-software engineer. So I got to meet uh, different people. And what I did, I was always pretty excited about it because they were like the ones that paved the line for this type of tech or whatever it might have been. And I'm not sure that's still the same today uh, because there's so much tech out there and so many players in the in the market. Uh, but certainly 20 plus years ago, there was uh, a, few, a few smaller celebrities that uh, when you got to meet them, it was pretty exciting.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think they're still out there. Um, but yeah, that's a, it. Would have been fun, but no, it didn't happen for me.
0: Ah, that's okay. That's okay. There's lots to learn from his uh, um, uh, videos and everything else that were posted over time. So, um, so now taking all these things that you've done and you're moving forward, and you start to jump into what you're building today. Maybe you can share a little bit more about. Um, kind of the approach that you guys are taking to the venture world and, and how you're looking at the landscape and utilizing your 20 years of big corporate and commercialization, which I think is again, phenomenally huge for any, founder to be have that uh, opportunity to work with you guys uh, when it comes to commercialization, very few maybe understand it till they get to series a and that's being able to put together like this scaling process around sales and delivering, um, you know, maybe you can share a bit more about how the venture side's working for you guys and, and the way it's working.
1: Well, so, so, so help me, help me understand. There was a lot going on there. So are you wondering like, how? What type of businesses are we approaching and looking at or, you know, how we're trying to add value to these companies or what type of attributes we look for in the companies that we invest in?
0: Yeah, it's actually a bit of both of those. It's uh, what are you looking for and then what are you guys bringing to help them and what does that model look like um, outside of, uh, you know, a, a generic um a uh, venture firm. How are you guys approaching it, and what are you doing that's uh, that's certainly different to help these companies? You've had some great successes, so I'm just curious as to what that looks like for the rest of the founders that might reach out to you.
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, we're we're really looking to my perspective is that we're at this point of inflection within within business as a whole and industries have to achieve higher standards around everything from efficiency to de and i culture and leadership and global economies are you know there's a lot of challenges going on in global economies uh, and geopolitical issues taking place that are affecting everything from from cloud to you know the way we use cloud to the way that we we use it automation or semiconductors leading the way. Um, cybersecurity is really important. We're looking at AI, robots, automation, and you know, semiconductors and cybersecurity, things that can really companies that have the ability to target industries that are adapting to a digitized world, I think is the best way to really put it. And so, you know, we want to find founders that are a part of what i believe is you know the new the fourth industrial revolution which is going on right now and i think that frontier tech is the fourth industrial revolution and it's going to change the way you know we look and build businesses now i think i said earlier you know business people and planet are going to change the way you know we live and operate and we want to find companies and founders who are who are transforming the way that we we live in this world and the way that businesses operate? So we want to find, you know, rapid acceleration and growth and sustainability, in, you know, in this next decade of digitization. And we think that companies in AI, robotics, automation, um, you know, semiconductors, and cybersecurity are going to really lead the way.
0: I love it, and and to to the point of uh, the areas of, of interest. Um, and to your point about business people are going to lead the generation or lead this forward over the next decade, um, are you also, from a securities perspective, are you also worried about like the worlds of the FTX and everything else, where you know they were setting a standard, they were creating this governance, they're creating this ability to move the businesses forward. We're entrusting in these people and the big money and the investors that dump their money into these companies that they're doing the right things to ensure that security is being managed or governance is there. Uh, so do you think that it, it almost has to be a hybrid somehow, Uh, of this business person that's leading the way or is it a like a business slash techie that you can merge together and say this is really going to be the leader of the future because if we put all of our hands in in uh, the business person and not into AI or something then we're going to be stuck with uh, bad investments because there's always bad apples out there and it seems that they're the ones taking over the world.
1: Well, I mean, that is a really meaty question because you know there's so much going on right now around all things FTX. Um, so I won't go too deep into it, but I I will say this. I mean, we F FTX in particular has become one of the the largest financial schemes in history. I mean, it's right up there with with Enron. And you there, are some, there were a lot of red flags, things that people should have picked up on. And VC, venture capital investors, their first job behind the scenes when not talking to founders is to be a fiduciary for the investor in their fund. And diligence is necessary. You have to dig deep. And so I think during an era, a, a decade, if you will, of easy money and really strong returns, That venture and the public equities markets have seen, it became easier for companies to to just dump money into, for, for venture funds, to dump money into companies without doing deep diligence and to chase valuations, to chase upside, and to chase relatively quick and easy markups that they could report to their investors that would in turn allow them to raise more capital for a subsequent fund. I think that that is coming to an end if it hasn't already. And th- this whole debacle at FTX, it, you know, it's left a lot of people with a really sour taste in their mouth for all things around crypto and Web3. And what Sam Bankman-Fried and his team have done um, is incredibly um, disruptful for all things around crypto. And crypto itself has always had it's always had skeptics, Um, but but there should have been some red flags. I mean, for first starters, I'll just say, you know, FTX was originally founded as a company that is based in Barbados in the Bahamas, right? And Antigua and Barbuda. So that's a problem. Most VC funds never invest in anything unless it's 15 miles from their office, like driving distance. And unless the company itself is, uh, uh, you know, a Delaware Sea. And this was not. So that that should have been a red flag for for many of them. You can invest in companies that are based in Bahamas if it's a hedge fund, but it doesn't make a lot of sense as a good fiduciary to invest in a company whose headquarters is based in an area that's known to be, you know, a tax haven. That Maybe that should have been a red flag. I mean, there's so many other things that that are going on behind the scenes that Know and I don't invest in crypto. We're not investing in web three. That's not our focus. But yeah, I think you just have to you have to build and adhere to points of diligence that become that are kind of like religion internally, things that you just hold to and you don't waver from. So you, you have to say to yourself, like, what are the attributes of a company that we really want to focus on and how do we diligence them? And you know, for me when i look at a company and i i say what are those resilient attributes or diligence i want to make sure that the company is driven by a sincere purpose to tackle challenges that that will actually impact the world or ha- we want the founder to have a high impact big vision bold strategy you know and and some really truly transformational technology under the hood i i don't know if you could argue that all things ftx and their their ftt token were truly transformational technology under the hood i mean they had they built a token they had you know alameda research which was a, you know a separate entity that they owned and they were you know building a, a crypto exchange they it wasn't the first of its kind no it wasn't groundbreaking the company was only founded in 2019 and you know it achieved from 2019 until November 8th of 2022, you know, I think it achieved about a $32 billion valuation. There was, you know, about $8 billion in venture capital dollars invested in that company in a relatively short period of time. So there was a lot of red flags going on as the money continued to pour in and the valuation continued to skyrocket. And uh, it uh someone should have spoken up sooner uh, and uh, they didn't. And I'm sure there were people that had questions, but I think, you know, before we got on this podcast, you were talking to me about how sometimes it's difficult for people to step forward. You you alluded to the book, uh, was it Whistleblower by Susan Fallon? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people ought to read that book, as I will as well, uh, thanks to your suggestion, Jeffrey, um, and just get a feel for for what to look for and what could be, you know, truly truly um, disruptive to an organization's ability to grow and will completely break all values around trust with your investors.
0: No, I love it. Well said. And the only thing I'll throw into there is that I guess that still puts us on the line of defining what that is going to look like in the future if there is a form of we trust AI more than we trust humans because we want to find that middle line to governance and uh, being able to build that uh, trust line again that we don't see and and what I'll throw in there is that um with uh the other day it came out with quadriga uh Gerald Cotton uh, that apparently there was something like 1.9 million dollars that was transferred uh and this account hasn't uh, moved any money in 5 years since the death and they're like wait a second no one else has the keys there's only one person and this person was be- supposed to be um, obviously claimed dead in India. So now the, the whole story is going to open up again. So I, I'm not sure the truth of it. I'm going to dive into this. But again, this uh, the, the whole thing gets back to um, how do we build better governance and better founders and ensure that we're getting inv- investing in the right uh, businesses, the right people that, um, like you said, have global world vision, but they're also solving big global problems and uh, they're doing it from the right standpoint.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel that way.
0: Well, to kind of move ourselves into the next phase, we're going to talk about it. I'm going to dive into, but I'd love to get your perspective on what it takes to be a founder. I know you've come in on both sides and you've worked both sides of the table. Maybe you have a story or a a case that you can share of, you know, she or he that, you know, just never thought they were going to make it. And they were able to change the world and make it happen. Uh, Any story that kind of comes to mind, I'd love for you to share.
1: Uh, you know, there's there's a lot to come to mind. I think what you just have to find is, you, you know, to be a really strong founder, you have to have grit and you have to be willing to grind it out. And, and you know, I refer to that as grinded out grit. And you have to be willing to, to dare to ask why. And you should have a, a clear vision as to how what you're working on will unlock like the inherent power of industry specific data rich environments. Uh, You know, how are you going to solve a real problem or a bottleneck for customers to help them save, spend, plan and grow efficiently? If you, if you can do those things um, and you can get a team around you that believes in your vision of what you're attempting to do, you know, you'll, your business will succeed. Um, if you can get past the, the, the fourth or fifth year of that business from inception, the likelihood of you getting to the the 10th and 12th year is far greater than if you didn't get there and finding companies that are and founders and teams that are resilient and can push through, um, you know, the ups and downs of growing a business, um, is difficult to do, but when you find them, uh, you you'll often find that those individuals are able to make that a repeatable process. And somewhere along the line, they they may have failed, and that's actually a really good thing, because those founders who have failed along the way and have tried it more than once, they have ex- they have told you without telling you that they have the aptitude to reflect, pivot, and scale. And finding people who can do that um, is a a good thing you ought to look for when doing diligence. (laughs) Um, And, you know, sometimes a first-time founder doesn't always make sense. Sometimes it's better off that you're with a founder who who was part of a founding team or an early employee at at a company that scaled and did well over time and learned and grew with that team. And now they're able to to build and define a, a new process and develop something completely unique in the art uh, that will you know change, change an industry, change a process, and possibly
2: become a really great investment for for a venture investor.
0: I love it. Well shared. All right, we're gonna jump into the rapid fire questions now. We'll start with the business side. Ready to roll?
2: Sure. Let's do it.
0: All right. Pick one or the other. Obviously, coming in from a venture investor, choose which one works best for you. Founder or co-founder?
2: Uh, founder.
0: Unicorn or a four-year
2: 10X exit? Unicorn.
0: Tech or CPG?
2: Did you say tech or CPG? Correct. Uh, tech.
0: NFT or Web (laughs)
2: 3.0? Web 3.0.
0: AI or blockchain?
2: AI, all the way.
0: First-time founder or second, third-time founder?
2: Second, third-time founder. First money in or Series A? First money in. Angel or VC? VC.
0: Board seed or observer?
2: Observer. Board seats take up too much time.
0: Safe or convertible note?
2: I always prefer a safe over a convertible note.
0: Lead or follow? Follow. Equity or interest payment?
2: Ah, equity.
0: Favorite part of investing?
2: (laughs) Um, Favorite part of investing, getting to know people.
0: Number of companies invested per year.
2: Uh, it, it depends on fund size. For for me, it's you know probably five. Perfect. Uh preferred term any preferred terms? Um no, not off the top of my okay. head.
0: You you could you mentioned verticals of focus, maybe just uh, reiterate? Yeah, sure. So uh
1: AI, robotics, quantum. I've got a, a great investment in a company called Quantum Computing that has become a three and a half billion dollar unicorn. I, I like, I like a lot of the hard tech. I like um I like hardware as a service. Not afraid of it.
0: Love it. Two qualities a startup needs in order to stand out to you.
1: Uh they need a a, a strong and compelling uh pitch deck that gets the message across to me real quick because i see so many of them it needs to really jump off of the page don't spend too much time uh, and money building that deck but make sure that there's a lot of meat in there we want to see unit economics
0: perfect all right per- personal side book or movie
1: movie brother i'm in the movies uh,
0: that's right uh superman or batman
1: <laughs> uh, Superman. There've been too many bad Batmans.
0: (laughs) Restaurant or picnic?
1: Uh, Restaurant.
0: Five minutes with Bezos or or, or Oprah?
1: (laughs) Um, Oprah, so I can cry.
0: (laughs) All right. Mountain or beach? Beach. Bike or run? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Big Mac trophy or money
2: trophy or money uh money beer or wine wine Uh, camera mobile phone camera king or rich uh rich
0: concert or amusement park concert fortune cookie or birthday cake
1: Oh, sweet. Uh, <laughs> birthday cake.
0: TED talk or book reading?
1: I'd read a book.
0: TikTok or Instagram?
2: It, TikTok. My wife
1: watches those things all the time. They're hilarious. I know the Chinese are all over that mess, but I get a kick out of watching hers. I do not have a TikTok account, <laughs> no,
0: Facebook or LinkedIn
1: uh linkedin all day long i sold all my facebook stock about 3 3 years ago really glad i did
0: nice most famous person that pops in your mind uh will smith favorite movie and character you'd play
2: <laughs> um favorite
1: movie and character i'd play well i i think i i don't i don't necessarily have a favorite movie i'd say how about I say favorite movie I've worked, I've worked on? Um, I've, my favorite movie I ever worked on was um, Smoke and Aces.
0: Oh, that's a great flick.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. And the second favorite was uh, Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith, who came to mind.
0: Ah, that's very cool. Both great. Favorite, favorite. book?
2: Uh, eh, good to Great. That's a good one.
0: Agreed. First brand that pops in your mind. Nike. Favorite sports team.
2: Uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. It's
0: a good good team. Uh, What is the meaning of success to you?
2: I I think the meaning of of success to me is um, happiness. And last question, what is your superpower? My superpower is is connecting people.
0: I love it. Well, I'll also add into your superpowers. I also think you're pretty good at explaining things and walking people through the 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 scenarios and where you're going. So I think there's a oh, that probably is just a form of communication, of course. But I think you did a great job. Um, so appreciative today today and your time, Ryan. Brilliant. Uh, lots of great things you shared, and I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot of uh intrinsic things around how to startup should function how they should tackle the market and how to build the sales team and be effective so i want to appreciate again all your time and thank you very much for joining us and the way we like to end our show is we like to give you the last word anything you want to share to investors or startups i turn it over to you but again thank you for all your time
1: yeah thank you for your time jeffrey i i would say To to any founder out there who's interested in Roadster Capital and our fund, have a look at our website. It's roadstercapital.com. And if you have a a pitch that you'd like to send over, send it to fastpitch at roadstercapital.com. And I guarantee you, we'll take a look at it and we will get back to you in short order.
0: I love it. I didn't even need to ask, but bang on. That was perfect. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you very much, Ryan.
1: You got it. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: Okay, that was some, well, again, lots of great insight from uh, from Ryan. You know, I loved uh, how he shared grind it out and grit, what he's looking for, dare to ask why. You know, don't sell to the biggest fish in the room. Sell to the smaller players, bring them up, have some meat on the bone before you go to these larger entities and try to sell them in. You'll sell them faster once you solve the problem down below. And and I think uh, to, to all of his points, really focus on the pipeline, figure out... Uh, the problem that you're solving. And I think it all comes down to is if you're saving people time, effort and money or making people money, then that problem is one to solve and you can get behind that and commercialize it. You know, you're going to be off to the races. So um, I think with uh, everything that Ryan shared, certainly a lot of uh, opportunities for early stage companies to, to really build in and hone in on that sales process and build up and uh, really awesome conversation. So Roadster Capital, uh, you know where to find them. He provided that info. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today. If you've if you've enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our Stitcher. Feel free to share, this, share an audio or video clip around the show. We may include it in one of our future podcasts. Find us at marketing at openpeoplenetwork.com. Your support and comments truly are appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit openpeoplenetwork.com. Thank you and have a fantastic day.